Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope. Never Ever Give Up Hope is a show about people who have done just that. They never gave up no matter what they had to encounter or endure. Many of my guests have survived incredible circumstances and as a result they have the passion to help others. And this is what I find so interesting is that so many people because of the pain that they have gone through want to help someone else who may be going through that pain or a similar one. And the uniqueness about the show is when we hear stories, other people's stories, it doesn't matter if it's a similar story to our own, but we can relate. And we can relate on various levels. And we never know how our story is going to touch someone else and that's what this show's about is touching other people's lives helping them giving them hints and tips on possibly how to get through their own circumstance and I love it I love hearing the stories I love hearing the solutions and also the opportunity to give encouragement to so many people around the world. We're now heard in over 140 countries and that just also shows me that it doesn't matter where we are, where we come from, or where we're going. Everybody needs to hear stories of encouragement and hope. So I thank you for listening today and of course without you guys as listeners we wouldn't have a show. And I thank you for your feedback and everything that you do to contribute as well. With me today, I have Anita Lesko. She has a master's degree, master's of science degree in nurse anesthesia, specializing in neurosurgery, organ transplants, trauma and burns, and joint replacement surgery for the past three decades. That tells me one thing about Anita is I'm sure she has a heart of compassion which is going to be evident as we interview her later. She is on the panel of people on the autism spectrum with the Autism Society of America. She is a certified health coach specializing in autism life skills coaching. She is a healthcare professional coaching 
and executive corporate coaching. So in other words, a health co or a uh, life coach in many different areas. She's also a motivational speaker and she's an award-winning author. She also has a few other things under her belt that are really make her an interesting person and we'll talk about that throughout her interview today. But one of the things that we're also going to discuss at length is she has accomplished an awful lot in her life. And one of the main obstacles that we have to consider when we when we listen to Anita's story is that she was diagnosed at the age of 50 with Asperger syndrome. And up to that point, I'm sure she went through a lot trying to figure out what was wrong, what wasn't computing. And this is what we're going to start to talk about today with Anita Lesko. Welcome, Anita. Thank you, Carol. Glad to be here. So what can you, first of all, what can you share about the difficulty people with disabilities experience in the workplace? This is one of the things when I was reading your, your bio that really struck because very often people have to deal, of course, with obstacles and difficulties uh, with disabilities. But especially in the workplace, I like that you are going to address that. So let's start there and share uh, your thoughts about that. Okay, well, okay, so out of my 30-year career as a nurse anesthetist, the first 23 years of that, I went not knowing that I'm on the autism spectrum. I knew I had all kind of difficulties with social interactions. I had all kind of sensory issues that nobody else ever seemed to have. And, really? Mm -hmm, and I just, I recognized, well, I recognized from the time I was a little child that I was different and just kind of never fit in anywhere, least of all in the workplace. Um, I did an interesting talk. I did a presentation this past October at the Federal Communications Commission in Washington, D.C., and I shared with them a lot of things that I've um, experienced during my 30-year career. Um, and these are things that are commonplace to individuals on the autism spectrum and other people with various kinds of disabilities. Um, it, it's sad, but unfortunately, these things happen. I mean... I've been bullied, harassed, discriminated against. Um, you know, even after I got my diagnosis, I thought it would end there when I, when I got the formal diagnosis from a, a neuropsychologist and I took the letter uh, to my employer and everything who, uh, you know, I asked. Uh, to share that with, with there, there was several individuals um, who were doing the bullying and all that stuff. It's oh, not really? everybody, but it didn't really help much. Um, really? Finally, after a number of years, well, actually, and I should say that um, it was only really after these uh, the, the, the two in particular that they were no longer working there, then, then it pretty much faded away. Um, here and there, I get some little... Uh, things that happen, um, I, and I typically you know, advocate for my own self, but uh, I will follow up. I tend to send an email to my 
uh, boss man to tell him what happened and how I dealt with it. Um, and and sometimes I'll I won't even do that. I'll just tell. Um, I'll just tell uh, one of my coworkers, and he actually will go and call the boss man because he thinks it's so wrong, and he'll call the boss man, tell him about it. Who then then. Uh, the boss goes and, and talks to the individual who was the perpetrator, so to speak. You know what's difficult to understand is how adults, and these are not, you know, even 20-year-olds, these are adults, how they can still bully in this day and age. Like that just, it's mind-blowing. And I'm sure it must be difficult for you to understand as a recipient of that. Uh, yes, especially what's even worse to me is these are healthcare providers. Oh my word, that's right. Of course, that would that definitely would make it worse. What I did find out was I doing some research for that uh, for the presentation in Washington D.C. and I was looking up uh, employees with disabilities, and I happened to come across uh, numerous articles about uh, nurses with disabilities of varying sorts um, who get bullied tremendously and discriminated in the workplace and and so I, I was it was very disheartening for me to see that you know like I said we're talking about working in an environment with healthcare providers that are supposed to be so compassionate and understanding and yet um, these type of thing going on it's almost like sometimes I feel like they, they look upon the disabled person uh, even though that person is doing their job just like everybody else right. but they still you're still kind of viewed as that weak animal of the herd, you know, who kind of doesn't really belong there. What do you see as a solution? I try educating people, um, and I've done that since day one. Um, you know, I started with the second that I found out my diagnosis, uh, I became instantly the uh, very active autism advocate slash activist, educating people. Um, that's one way I hope I mean and it's worked uh, to a great degree for many of the people in my workplace um, who have come to see me uh, as as um, you know someone will kind of call well now that with that show called The Good Doctor who's portraying an autistic uh, surgeon in the operating room so a lot of people in my workplace will, will oh. call me that The Good Doctor or The Good Anesthetist um but a lot of people have come to, to, to you know, call me, you know, I'm like, a, like the, the hero of the operating room that I can survive in that environment despite all of the issues that a person on the spect autism spectrum has to deal with. Well, I'm sure you are fully aware that a bully is a coward. And it doesn't take away from the pain. It doesn't take away from the, you know, the problem. But understanding that they are basically cowards and sometimes I even think they're jealous because you're functioning so well with a disability and it's sad it's sad that that they have to look at you that way uh, or, or anyone in your position I mean it's it's beyond sad but you sound like you've got a handle on it oh I've got a handle that's for sure yes, and you're I'm, taking I'm... and you're taking <laughs> you're taking steps to make you know, awareness is a big word, right? And you're taking steps to make even your boss aware. And it's a good thing your boss is not one of those who are bullying you. Because <laughs> that probably could be a real serious problem in the workplace as well, correct? 
Right. Yeah. No, he never, he never has. No, for that's, fortunately. That's great. Now, one of the things that I want to ask you before we go to the next um, segment here is what is, how is autism and Asperger's related at all? Are they? Yes. Well, see, Asperger's used to be like a separate entity. It would be like autism spectrum and then Asperger's. It's Asperger's they actually call like the high end of the autism spectrum and then I think it was in 2013 or 14, the uh, the DSM-5 decided to include Asperger's just in the whole umbrella of autism. So uh, it, now, even though the people who have the, the Asperger's, we we know we have Asperger's, which is, is, is a bit different than autism. In a way, there's still all, you have all the sensory issues, the not fitting in, the being different, and and all that, but um, I just I just simply pretty much refer to myself as autistic. I have autism, um, so that that's how that all came to be. That's all just lumped, and I think that came so people can get services. If it was just all lumped under the uh, DSM five okay, okay, autism okay. umbrella, that mm-hmm. makes sense. Now, many people with disabilities struggle with fitting in. Now, I know that you discuss this a little bit, but a little. Can you expound on this a bit more? Is have you found a key in coping with this? And I also address, while you're discussing that, address parents who may need some tips on coping for their children or teaching their children how to cope in these kind of situations. You know, this whole issue about fitting in, well, you know, I recognized when I was young, probably around two or three years old, uh, for sure, by four, that other other kids didn't really want to be near me, um, and I and I remember asking my mom, and she, we talked about this after I found out about the whole being on the spectrum, and she shared with me, you know, how she would make her cry watching me like at a playground. All the other kids basically kind of look at me and run away from me. They somehow sense other children can sense when a child is different. Amazing. You know, if, uh, I, I knew this lady at my workplace. Her son uh, has uh, Asperger's, and uh, I think he probably was about 10, 10 years old when she, she came up to me one day. She's crying, and she says, oh, he said to me yesterday, he says, because he had no friends. None of his classmates want to be friends with him. And um, he said, Mom, is this, is this always going to be like this? Because if, if, if no other kids want to ever be friends with me, I just want to be dead. And, of course, for a mother to hear their child say that is beyond heart-shattering. Of course. Um, you know, so many of us, uh, uh, the people who are the autism advocates out there working towards, you know, the neurodiversity, inclusion, acceptance, everybody's fighting for that to try and get the rest of society to accept somebody who's just different and who's not like you. You know, I spent my life uh, always feeling like I was on the outside of life looking in, trying to figure out how to get in. Um, and it's a very lonely feeling when you watch other people and everybody's interacting and making all kind of facial expressions that you realize you're kind of really not capable of doing like that and you don't even know how to do it. And everybody else is having fun and, and you can see everybody's accepting of each other and then there you are like just that outsider that nobody wants to let in. And this is a very common um, part of people on the autism spectrum. I mean, there's so many that don't have any friends at all, and they're in their well into their adulthood. 
um, it, it's a very sad thing. Um, and parents, you know, one thing I've, I think one of the things that upsets me the most is when I hear parents say that they cannot accept that their child uh, is different like that. Um, they'll say, I love my child, but I can't accept their their autism or their Asperger's. Really? Mm-hmm. That seems to be that's actually a very common thing I hear. It's uh, I said, but it's all a package deal. I mean, you know, that's part of who they are. You know, that whole however it is that they are being different. But and looking at who what you have accomplished, I think this is you know the thing that we really have to focus on, and whether whatever support system you know what that you had around you. It just proves that you can do it. You can rise above this, no matter it, it, what you're dealing with. Correct? Yes, exactly. Um, you know, my mom was my 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 big support system. She was my only support system. Um, and and I also started using this visualization thing, where I would visualize things that I wanted to do and accomplish as time went on. And I talk about that very extensively in in my a new book that just came out recently, um, becoming an becoming an autism success story. That's your focus, um, right? That's what you're you're gearing in is changing your focus. Yes. Well, when you want to do something, you know, you have to it, it, being a different. Okay. So yes, there's all kind of things to deal with concerning that. But I, another thing is, I I tell young people they they get diagnosed early like in their like two three years old and then now they have a label now they have the autism label tagged on them Uh, a lot of kids want to focus on that and the parents kind of want to focus on that i tell them just forget about the whole thing and go and just do what you want to do don't focus on some label because i'm proof that i didn't even know i had it but i kept on going I kept on going. I never, ever gave up. You know, I think you really, really made an important point there. And along with what I just said about focusing, you know, the same thing with the parent. When we label our children and then we start to make excuses for them. Right. And granted, they, you know, there has to be some some uh, some grace given there in those situations. But... When you have a support system, and this is to parents out there in particular, then you can encourage your children that it doesn't matter what their problem is, they can overcome it. And that's that's your message that I'm hearing here. You don't give up just because you're labeled as something. Do you want to speak to that a little bit? Yes, it's a very, very important thing, whether it's autism or some kind of physical disability or, or, or whatever it is, don't focus on that. You know, that you, you can't change. You can improve yourself, and anybody can improve yourself. Yes. It's nothing you're trying to become somebody you're not. Right. Just, you know, most people want to improve themselves in some way, whether it's their, you know, a lot of people are focused on their appearance or uh, their, their knowledge base or whatever it is they want to do to improve themselves but um, most people want to change in a, you know in a positive way well look upon it that you're just changing yourself in a positive way and focus on the things that you like to do uh, dreams that you have goals that you have and use your time to focus on those things not not sit around um, focused on 
you know, whatever it is exactly. that you have. What you but, can't do. Correct. Now, there's there's something else about your story, and of course, we're going to talk a little more about your books, etc., but one p- part of your story that is totally shifting gears here, and I think you know where I'm going, and it is so exciting. I just, <laughs> my hat is definitely tipped to you regarding this. You saw the movie Top Gun in 1995, and you spent seven years, talk about focus, <laughs> working towards your dream of flying a fighter jet. Now, in my wildest imagination, I have never dreamed of flying a fighter jet. So it just shows we're all different. But my goodness, you had that dream, and you didn't let anything stop you. This is amazing. You became an internationally published military aviation photojournalist and you got to a flight in an F-15 fighter jet and you also spent time with the world famous U.S. Navy Blue Angels. I mean, this is phenomenal. Now, before we get into the rest of your story, tell us about your experience in this regard. Well, that was uh, a major highlight of my life, indeed. Uh, one night, I decided. I, now, mind you, I, I, I'm not a movie watcher. Never go to the movies. I never would rent videos to, you know, movies, anything. But one night, I just decided on my way home from work. I was living up in Wisconsin at the time. It was a Friday. It was snowing. I'm like, you know what? Let's. I'm going to get a movie. My mom and I can watch. So I go in the movie store. I'm looking around. Nothing appeals to me. I'm ready to walk out the door. And I happen to see Top Gun is sitting there on the shelf. Okay, so I, for, for whatever reason, I said, hey, this looks like really like something, you know. So I bring it home. We're watching the movie. So as the movie's going on, and I'm watching these jets landing on aircraft carriers and all the crazy things they're doing, I'm thinking, holy Toledo, I've got to fly in a fighter jet someday. So, oh, my goodness. I can remember I told my mom, I said, I want to fly in a fighter jet. She looked at me like, oh, my God, are you kidding me? Why are you crazy? So I thought, okay, I'm going to, I I need some time to figure out how could I possibly do this. So I start subscribing all these military aviation magazines. And so for months, I'm reading all the articles every, every month and everything. And I start realizing the same 10 guys write these articles and take all the pictures. So I kind of zeroed in on the one author because his his articles were the best and his pictures were the best. So I decide I, I track him down online and I get his email and I wrote to him and tell him, oh, I, you know, praises articles and all this. And and I said, what kind of camera do you use to, to take pictures like that? So he writes back a Nikon F5. So that was back when 35 millimeter film was right, in right. So I thought, oh, oh, good grief. So I go online, find out, okay, this is kind of a very expensive camera. So I save money, get order this camera. So I said, okay, that's step one. Well, I had never at that point in my life, so mind you, I still don't know I'm on the autism spectrum. The only thing I did know is that when I get hooked on something, it's it's all in. It is all in, okay? So I start figuring, okay, well, this guy, I kind of thought I can write articles too. And so I was constantly reading about all the military aviation and all the aircraft and everything. So I built my knowledge base, you know, but with that. So, but I'm living up in Wisconsin. And I realized if I'm going to start, I need to be like near a military base or something. So one day 
lo and behold, the mailman comes and there's a triple A AAA travel magazine among the mail and it happens that I literally fall out of my hand on the floor and it opens up to the center fold which was Pensacola, Florida. Well, on one side of the picture there's the beautiful pristine white beaches of Pensacola and the emerald green water, but I, I really didn't care about that picture. But on the other side was a picture of the US Navy Blue Angels in flight. And I was like, oh my good grief. Then I find out that these Blue Angels are, are housed, their squadron is in Pensacola and at Naval Air Station Pensacola. So wow, bing, 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 Pensacola starting to look real attractive to me. And then I found out that Eglin Air Force Base, which is a huge Air Force Base with a big fighter wing, is only like an hour and a half away from me. So I'm like, uh, okay, I got to move to Pensacola, Florida. So within one month, I had I'd gone down there, gone down from Wisconsin to Pensacola, interviewed, got a, a, a new job lined up, a place to live, and all this, everything squared away. Uh, my parents were living with me, I, and I tell them, guess what, we're moving to Pensacola, and uh, <laughs> oh boy. So anyway, it was a big change. They had, all of us had always been up north our whole life by snow and everything, now we're moving to Pensacola, Florida. So come down here, get settled in. And first I started become a, a, a volunteer at the National Museum of Naval Aviation. So, and that's right on Naval Air Station, Pensacola. Then I started going every Wednesday. I arranged my work schedule so that I'd be off every Wednesday so I can go down and start watching the Blue Angels fly and start learning how to take pictures. Because it took me quite some time to get the knack of taking the pictures of jets flying 500 miles an hour. Um, up until that point, I had only used those like disposable cameras you get at mm -hmm. Walgreens Pharmacy or something. So right. after a while, I finally started getting the knack of it. So now I'm getting the good pictures. So that I started writing articles and submitting them to the different military magazines, and they started accepting them. Then I actually started getting like, you know, requests to do different articles and things. Now I still work full time doing my nurse anesthesia thing throughout all of this craziness um then i started weaseling my way into hanging out with the the u.s navy blue angels at their squadron here at uh, naval Air station pensacola so i got to spend time uh you know up close and personal watching them how they do their briefings how they um the the flight crew works with with the jets getting the pilots ready the pilots going in the jets and then you know the, the whole show flying and it, it was the most beside myself exciting thing. Um, then, Eglin Air Force Base, I got to do an article about the 33rd Fighter Wing. Uh, and they have two fighter squadrons, the, uh, the, the Gorillas and the Fighting Crows. And the Fighting Crows kind of adopted me. Um, and part of this whole deal was going to be that I was going to get my flight in an F-15. So, of course, when I found that out, I was beyond beside oh, my oh my goodness yes now for all those years seven years because it would be every weekend weeknights working on these articles writing 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 learning 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 and all this thing but all the time like every time i'd be out on the flight line taking pictures of these jets i was visualizing myself in the back seat mm -hmm. of them mm -hmm. and i kept thinking i'm going to be in there one day i'm going to be in it. that's all i kept being focused on so Finally, the day came when I was actually going to get that flight, 
and I can remember sitting in that seat of that of that F-15, and as we're ready to go down the runway, and I, I just was, it was beyond exciting, and, and and it was it was the the realization of how when a person wants to do something so bad and you just never ever give up and you keep working towards that no matter how long it takes you that you can get there and that was really that moment that's what i was thinking as i'm going down the runway finally in that back seat of an f-15 fighter jet and then the pot you know we took off down the runway with a full afterburner takeoff and went up to straight up like a rocket to 15,000 feet and you know and then the whole flight and then, to this day, because I got to videotape all of this, and uh, I, I watch it and I kind of pinch myself. Wow, it, I really pulled that off, you know. But I always say it's 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 just encouraging to anybody. You have a dream, no matter how yes. crazy it seems. Yes. Well, and that's a perfect testimony to that. I don't care what it is, whether it's something negative that you are going through or something positive that you wish to attain. If you can focus on the final, you know, the what you want to be and like you said, visualize, I am going to be that. I'm going to go there. I'm going to do that and not let go of that dream and have it in in your in your foresight. You can do it. And you know, considering what you had to overcome as well physically and emotionally and mentally and to still hang on to that thread sometimes that thread of hope and not let go and see the fulfillment of that dream what a great testimony to that and to the human spirit my hat is definitely once i noticed you wore a hat that's why i keep saying that in your, <laughs> in your pictures the um the people will see that on, on your on your webpage when this goes up. You know, she wears an awesome hat, a black hat. I love it. Yes, that's okay. my trademark. <laughs> oh, is that right? Okay. Yep. Now, another thing that you accomplished that I think is really cool. In 2017, you were honored by the UN as a guest speaker for National Autism Day. You are an advocate for people with Asperger's syndrome, but also other disabilities, which you already discussed a little bit. So tell us about that. Tell us why, how that came about and what it means to you and, and what being an advocate means. Anything that you want to discuss about that, we'd love to hear it. Well, when I got the invitation to speak at the United Nations, I can remember I stared at it on the screen for about 10 minutes and I kept reading it. Am I really seeing this, what, what I'm seeing? Um, you know, an invitation to speak at the United Nations headquarters in New York City was like, I, it, it kind of flashed in my head. You know, I came from a very poor family. Uh, my grandfather was a coal miner. And how could I have risen up to this point with all of my work, though, to rise up to the point where I'm being invited to speak at the United Nations. Wow. There, there again, never, ever give up, okay? Wow. Uh, I can remember on the day I flew there, you know, I'm already at this point, I'm living down in Pensacola, and uh, it, on that morning that I was going to speak, it was, uh, it was about 34 degrees in Manhattan, and it was drizzling, because I kept expecting to see snowflakes coming down, but walking up to that building and seeing all those flags from around the world flapping in the wind and it was so overwhelming i just stood there and i'm like 
oh my gosh, I'm going to go inside this building and I'm going to speak. So, of course, when you go inside, you have to go through security and everything. And then when it came out into the big, huge amphitheater kind of room where all the whole entire day of the autism uh, event was going to go on. And then I, as I walked around, and suddenly I see my name where I'm supposed to sit. And my name is like lit up on this like, <laughs> you know, like illuminated placard. And I'm, I stared at it. I even took pictures <laughs> because I'm like... Oh my God! This is like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, you know, to, to do this, and it, it was very overwhelming and humbling, and 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 everything. You know, there there was people from all over the whole world, like the biggest uh, researchers in autism, the biggest scientists, uh, doctors, every everybody, advocates, and everybody, to came together there for that event, and and seeing all this manpower. You know, working everybody working so hard in so many different ways to make it better for individuals on the autism spectrum uh, was was beyond overwhelming. You know, and and um, I was on this panel, and the moderator actually was a woman named Karen Zucker, and she's a ABC World News correspondent, uh, and her and her. Um, uh, co-writer that her and um, a fellow named John Donvan, they co-authored a book called um, The History of Autism in a Different Key and uh, it's a New York Times best-selling book and she was the moderator actually of, of this panel and the topic for me to talk about actually was um, relation dating relationships and, and marriage on the autism spectrum and I got selected to speak about that topic because I am married um, in fact my husband is also on the autism spectrum um, and a few years ago we were actually uh, in the people twice and uh, good morning America from about our wedding which was we had an all autistic wedding oh my goodness how awesome and I thought it was very important to talk about that people on the autism spectrum have the same need for you know, relationships and, uh, and love and everything like everybody else, you know. Uh, we might not show it by, by facial or lack of facial expressions, but we have very deep uh, feelings inside. So yeah, I was very thrilled to have that message heard literally around the world because it was live streamed like in 92 countries um, and, and, and recorded and everything. One thing I want to say for if there's any parents out there listening to this who have a child on the spectrum, one of the things I keep hearing over and over again, they get so, it makes them sad when they listen to their friends who have children who are like in the same age group or whatever, and the, the, their parent, you know, their friend's kids right. are so far ahead, and they're so this, and they're doing this and doing that, and my child's not doing this and not doing mm, that. Good point. Um, and they're having, they have all these meltdowns and everything, and I tell mm -hmm. them, have patience. I know it sounds difficult to, 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 you know, to listen to that or try and, you know, accept that. But have patience right now. That child, as time goes on, that child is going to surprise them hmm. and, and, and get better. I mean, you know, when I was that age, I was like a disaster. Okay. So, okay. You know. <laughs> Most of so, us might have been. <laughs> right. There you go. So, you know, just I try and tell them, be patient. Think positive. Don't worry about today. Don't worry about what your neighbors or your friends' kids are doing. Because there might come a point where your child, like, you know, 
uh, far surpasses anything that your your friends' kids can do. Okay. Absolutely, and you know, you're and they pick up on that too. They pick up on your attitude. Oh yes. And whether it's negative or positive, so it better if it's positive, it's certainly going to have a better impact. So yes, that was exactly. very good. I appreciate that. Now tell us about Temple. This is exciting. Share share that little bit about that, and and then we can talk talk about the book, and then we can talk about your other books as well. Uh, yes, I'm a very uh, good friend of uh, Dr. Temple Grandin, and she's the most famous person in the world with autism. Uh, Temple and I first met back in uh, 2011. Now, we did not meet in person yet at that time. I had wrote, uh, just after I got diagnosed, I wrote a book. Uh, it was like a memoir called Asperger Syndrome, When Life Hands You Lemons, Make Lemonade. And Temple saw that book. Okay, and she herself was working on a book at that time called Different, Not Less. Mm. And she, she was going to feature 14 people that she handpicked from around the world that she met to feature them as a successful adult who overcame, you know, a million obstacles. So one night, it was a Saturday night at 9 o'clock, and I'll never forget it, my phone rings, and that in itself was the oddity of somebody <laughs> calling me. I can still remember answering the phone and say hello, and the person I hear this voice, and for those who know Temple, how she sounds, they, they laugh because it sounds just like her. Huh. The voice says, um, hello, may I please speak to Anita Lesko? And I said, speaking? She said, this is Temple Grandin. <laughs> and I sat, and I'm like, oh my God, Temple <laughs> Grandin is calling me up. So Temple had called me up to ask me for permission to, that she wants to include me in that book. And I was beside myself, thrilled, of course. And we talked a little bit that first night. Then um, as time went on, you know, she had asked me more things to, to that she wanted to put in the book about me and everything. And um, we got to know each other. And we got talking. We talked about people on the autism spectrum and, and jobs and and how very small amount, small percent, like only 15, 20% of people back at that time were, you know, like employed. Um, and we talk about childhood jobs and all these things. So as time went on, we, you know, went more and more conversations. And then in 2013, I had organized an autism conference and I invited Temple to be the keynote speaker, which she agreed and came. And that's how we met in person finally. Um, and then uh, we stayed better friends, you know, and talked more. And over the years, and that's the way, in 19, I mean, 20, uh, I guess it was about 2016, uh, we'd we talk even more. And then got to, I got to know Temple, like our conversations would be, so she'd be, be her real self, so to speak, where she'd be laughing and telling me crazy stories and funny things. And mm. so now we're in a different level of talking. And. I would always think, gosh, I wish the rest of the world could see her how I see her, you know, which mm -hmm. is very, diff mm -hmm. very different than how people see her at conferences and things. So this one day in particular, we had a really hilarious conversation. And then later that day, I call her back and I said, Temple, I said, what would you think if I wrote a book about you, kind of like a tell-all book so that people can see the real you? So she thought that was like really great. And... I interviewed her for like, you know, for like 60 hours with these recorded interviews of everything from her childhood when she would love to walk on a beach and find, 
like a little jar that had a note in it um, to as her life went on and, and becoming like what people see in that movie about her called Temple Grandin, mm-hmm. the H- HBO movie. Yes. But like all these things that she never talked about or never told people. So all these exciting things, funny things, sad things, everything in between is in that book. Um, and then uh, the book came out. It's called Temple Grandin, the stories I tell my friends. That came out in 2000. And, um, actually, that came out in 2017. That's right. Yes. And um, then Temple and I, uh, are we have the same publisher, which is Future Horizons. And they publish Temple's books. They publish my books. Um, and they start teaming me up to speak at the same conferences with Temple. As oh. much as, yeah, as much as my work schedule allows me to do that, which I use my vacation time. Fortunately, I get six weeks paid vacation per year because I use that time to, to take off to go on all these speaking right, right. tours. So then Temple and I will speak at these all these conferences like all over the United States. I mean, she goes nonstop, okay? But I, I come and, you know, join her at these various things. And then, you know, we get to spend more time together and have breakfasts and dinners and and talk about crazy things. We both love talk about airplanes um, and flying and all this. Um, so that's how I, yes, and that's how I got to be. Such great friends with with the world famous Temple Grandin. What an amazing story! Now, now you also shared a little bit about your memoir, but you have other books too that you've written, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And tell I us a, a little bit about those. Okay, I have a very important book. It's called The Complete Guide to Autism and Healthcare. Um, I'm on a very big mission to educate healthcare providers, literally around the globe about autism and about how to best care for this unique population. Most doctors, and this is by research studies and surveys, uh, prove that most healthcare providers know little, if anything, about autism, wouldn't know how to handle an autistic patient. Really? Wow. And you have many, many individuals on the autism spectrum who avoid healthcare because of the fact that they recognize that the provider knows nothing about it, so so you become an odd creature to a, a healthcare provider who doesn't know anything about autism. They treat you disrespectfully, um, brush off your like like symptoms as if you're just plain crazy. And there's so many things that that the providers need to know and understand to be able to. And for and here's the situation: you get nonverbal kids. Uh, autistic people don't display pain in the same way as as a neurotypical person. Well, really? so if you have a yeah, so if you have a nonverbal child who's got like a appendicitis, but they're not really showing it like a, a typical child would, and the parents, but the parent recognizes that something's really wrong, and they take the kid to. Uh, and there's been actually instances of parents take a kid to an emergency room and the doctor thinks that they have, the kid has you know, hypochondriac parents and they think, well, nothing's wrong with the kid, kid's crying a little bit, you know, oh well, you know, nothing's wrong with your kid and they discharge him home and the kid goes home a couple hours later, gets a ruptured appendix and dies. Wow. So this is a serious yes. thing. So I combined my like 30 years as a medical professional with my autism to write this book 
to be that bridge between the healthcare providers and the autistic population to bring them together. What a mission and I certainly hope we have to promote this. We have to get this book out there. This is there are too many people who would be struggling and in this area not knowing what to do, not recognizing the the symptoms. That's I can see why you said it is a a, a mission of yours. So yes, this is important. It's probably a, a book that needs to be on on every library shelf for one thing. Yes, I mean I'm trying to get the get somehow to get to big media or something to get this you know right now that my book actually has gotten I've gotten it into some medical schools they're using it for yes. like fourth year medical students oh, good, that's re- good good required reading excellent uh, they've adopted some of uh, some parts of my book for uh, the special olympics for the healthcare providers who deal with that so I'm very proud of that aspect but it has to be on a global scale I mean that that's just the bottom line it, it can potentially really yes. save lives yes and just as I say on the top of the show every time that I do one of these shows it's when we go through something in our lives when we can share you know our pain our our shortcomings our weaknesses our circumstances to help somebody else we've accomplished an amazing feat and that's exactly what you have done that is your mission because of who you are what you've had to endure what you've overcome it drives you to help other people exactly and that is beautiful on so many levels and I thank you Anita for sharing that you have made me much more aware than even reading up on you like I did just the awareness and hearing the passion in your voice that speaks volumes and I thank you for sharing that today and we need to get your books out there we need there is an awareness but we need to make the solution on awareness as well exactly and so for that I thank you now is there anything in closing that you want to say add well, just my, my, my latest book, Becoming an Autism Success Story, it's not like it's not like an autobiography or something. It, I use my life as a backdrop, but it's more kind of like a self-help book for people to, to take in the positive thinking, the visualization. You can rewire your brain. You can change your, your thinking and, and your performance on things by this process of visualization, which I go into very extreme okay. detail okay. in the book. Mm-hmm. My last thing that I want to say, I have my favorite quote, and it's by John Bon Jovi, and it's, success is falling nine times and getting up ten. I've heard that before, and you're right. I love it. Success is falling nine times and getting up ten, and that is the bottom line, never, ever giving up. Indeed. So thank you again, Anita, and I appreciate you sharing with us today. My pleasure, Carol. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope, featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. 
So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.